It's Series 3, Episode 7 of the Overboard Podcast. How can it be that Adolf Hitler is on the polls again? Has Donald Trump been in talks with aliens? This week's two days, one city visits the beautiful city of Vienna. Well, I never heard anyone saying that they disliked Vienna. You should stay longer. Plus a lot more in this week's Overboard podcast. Welcome to the Overboard Podcast, the inside scoop into the world of travel, tourism and entertainment. And we like to keep things simple, so no overthinking, no advertisements, just hearty discussion. One of my favourite points of the week is when I get to see and chat to my old friend Benjamin Clift. Now, Dave, I should I should be greeting you in a, a hello from another language, but I've totally forgot. But I've got one off the top of my head, so are you ready? <laughs> yes, OK. G'day. Oh, my God. Is it, is it New Zealand? So it was a stra- <laughs> uh, Yes, it was a cross between Australia and New Zealand. How are you, Dave? You look very well this morning. It's very early, isn't it? Do you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to, not, not Christmas, but I'm looking forward to our Christmas episode, which is going to be next week. And I've been writing that this week. We've got lots of messages from around the world, so I'm looking forward to including them. And I think we're going to have a little bit of fun next week, a bit of Christmas fun, a little bit of Christmas backing music. I think next week when we record the Christmas episode, we should have a little little tipple while we're doing it. What do you think? I think that's a very good idea. I'm going to have a glass of white wine, David, as we record next week. It's going to be nice. Yeah, white wine. I think I might have a couple of palinkas and a beer. Nice, absolutely. Should we ask our dear listeners if they would like to have a shout-out or send a Christmas message to somebody to just write on our, on our social media feeds and then we could maybe read some of them out? Let's do that. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you'd like a Christmas message read out from the Overboard podcast team, then do drop us a message and we can read them out next week. That would be lovely. Should we find out where Cornflake was last week? We should. So uh, we told you last week, walking to tonight's mystery destination from London at an average speed of three miles per hour would take 1,080 hours. From Amsterdam, it would take 1,137 hours. And from Frankfurt, 1,209. And once you arrive, you'd be greeted by a population that have an average life expectancy of 80 years. Now, it's a very cold place because we said that the lowest temperature ever recorded was minus 37.8 Celsius. And the record low with wind chill was minus 49.1 Celsius. Now it's an underground city and by that we mean there's a series of interconnected tunnels beneath the city that run for over 32 kilometres and in the winter over 500,000 people use the tunnels on a daily basis and finally John Lennon's song Give Peace a Chance was written in a bed at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel on the 1st of June 1969 in the city. Now Dave, I thought this was a little bit tricky but I, I reckon you know the answer. Where do you think Cornflake was? I know the answer because Max used to live there and he sent in the correct answer this week. And, of course, the sauerkraut did as well. It's, uh, it's a massive country and the, the city is Montreal, I think. Absolutely correct. Yeah, Montreal. Max used to live there. Wow, didn't know that. So Montreal last week and then shall we find out where he is this week? Let's do it. The Adventures of Cornflake. 
Once again, dear friends, welcome, of course, to the further adventures of Cornflake. We all know how to play. It gets boring for me to mention it every single week. But if you are just listening for the first time, this is the section of the show where David and I send our imaginary cat Cornflake somewhere around the globe. And, of course, Cornflake sends back clues to which, of course, you, dear listener, decipher and work out where our little bundle of joy is. As always, four clues, and this is tonight's first clue. Walking to tonight's mystery destination from London at an average speed of three miles per hour would take 1,164 hours. From Amsterdam, 1,090 hours. And from Frankfurt, 1,014 hours. Once you arrive, you would be greeted by a population that have an average life expectancy of 75.1 years. Where is Cornflake this week? You are listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. Let's move on to this week's poll. And we have a poll run in association with what to do on your cruise. This week we ask, if you have holidayed or cruised at Christmas time, how did you enjoy the experience? A, it was everything I wanted it to be, the best Christmas ever. B, it was enjoyable, the hotel or ship really entered into the Christmas spirit. C, it was great to be away from cooking and cleaning and worrying about everybody. D, it was okay, but you could tell that the staff or crew would rather be somewhere else. Or E, very disappointed, I felt I was stuck with everyone who was running away from something at Christmas time. And we will have the result on next week's Christmas special. Benjamin, have you uh, have you ever been away from home at Christmas time? As you were reading out that poll, I was thinking about this, Dave, because um, I think it's a very different, difficult balance, should I say, when you're on the ship, aren't you, as management? Because you try to get the balance between giving that that Christmas experience for those people that want it. But as you've already mentioned in the last uh, answer, there there are a lot of people that sort of come away to get away from Christmas as well, aren't they? So how do you strike that balance? It's quite difficult between the two, isn't it? When I was an entertainments manager in holiday parks in England, I did every Christmas. And it's it's a very difficult time because you would have people that would be sent to these holiday parks, maybe people in their 70s, 80s, who their sons and daughters had paid for them to have this lovely Christmas break, jazzed it up to be, oh, we're going to send you away, you're going to have a lovely Christmas, you don't have to do any of the cooking or cleaning. And once they get there, when you chat to them, they go, I didn't want to come here. It's just they don't Mm. want me at their house for Christmas. So there was always a mixture of individuals that were there for different reasons. Like you say, it's very difficult to mix the two. Going back to the ships, I did a couple on the rivers and I found it quite difficult as well because also the crew have that build up that it's Christmas and it's supposed to be something special and essentially how Christmassy can you make a cruise you know when you when, mm. when you have a defined itinerary and you have to do so so many things you can do some entertainment in the evening but there's always some people say that there's not enough and there's other people that really just want to get away from Christmas don't like it at all it brings a lot of emotions doesn't it Christmas Christmas time for me can be and has been one of the most miserable times of the year but also yeah. it's been one of the happiest times of the year as well on different years and the other thing is if you're doing river ships as well in the run up to Christmas early December you've been doing Christmas market cruises mm. then these people come on the the actual Christmas cruises and all the Christmas markets are closed 
You can get too many Christmas markets, though, can't you? If every day is a Christmas market, I mean, what are the differences in Christmas markets, essentially, along the Danube now, or the Rhine? Probably not a lot. I find them very similar. They do have certain individualities about them. However, I, I find it astonishing when we have guests and they get so angry when they haven't had enough time to spend at one particular Christmas market, when mm. every day there's a Christmas market and they're very similar, and they go, oh, well, I haven't had enough time to spend at this one. And I'm like, well, what on earth can you, can you want to buy from this one that you can't buy the next one? They're virtually the same, you know. Well, so. this, this is it, isn't it? A, a one man's wine is another man's poison, because equally for those people that say they haven't had enough time, you get other people coming up to you and going, well, can we go now? You know, well, you've yeah. only been here 20 minutes. Yeah, I know, but... Pff- I've seen all I need to see. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a difficult one. Did you see that the World Cup qualifying group for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar has been drawn? Mm. And uh, just to, to bring it closer to our homes, England have been drawn in a group with Albania, Poland, Andorra, San Marino and Hungary. So I was very excited by this because Hungary versus England in Budapest is due to be played September next year. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, all all fans can go in. I'll, I'll be down there cheering on England. I was going to say, will you be split between uh, cheering no, on England? No, I'm English. Of course I'll be oh. cheering on England. Yeah, but you, you you sort of, you can't really lose, can you, on that night? If they pull off a shock, you know, it'll be great to be there in Budapest if they pull yeah. off the shock. And then if England win, of course, I'll come home and be smug as always. <laughs> You will, Dave. So like I say, it's a no-lose for you, but uh, it should be a cracking game. So because of the uh, virus this year, we've got the European Championships next year Mm. and then the World Cup the following year. Now, the World Cup, isn't it being moved to the winter? Yes, because in Qatar it's too hot, isn't it? So it'll be winter 2022. Yes. The two tournaments will be sort of 18 months apart then. But uh, 18 months apart, yeah. Next year, is, is it still the plan? I don't know whether you've heard. Is it still the plan to have the uh, European Championships held at multiple venues across Europe or is it all in England now? That's a very good question. The plan was, of course, to have them spread across Europe, wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, I don't think that's going to poss- be possible anymore, is it? So maybe it's going to be in England. I don't know. One thing I wanted to ask you, I noticed last week there was a game in England in the English, I think, third division uh, or second division. It was at Millwall in London. Now, Millwall, as you know, Ben, but our listeners might, uh, are quite infamous for being quite uh, hooliganistic, shall we say, and uh, have a very vociferous following uh, in their fans. The players took the knee in support of the, the Black Lives Matter movement and they were booed by the fans. My question is, how long are the footballs going to take the knee before the is there is there a is there a time limit or is it forever now? At the end of last season, when this when this taking the knee first came in, QPR, who their chairman is or or their football director should I say is Les Ferdinand, who's a legend of the game, um, they didn't take the knee at Coventry. And they were resoundingly, uh, or unanimous, unanimously, should I say, condemned for this. Now, Les Ferdinand is of ethnic minority, and he said the reason they didn't take it, Dave, was because it has no impact if it happens every single week. And he felt yeah. that when it first happened, it had a huge impact, but it just becomes the every. If it just becomes the norm, it loses the impact. So. What do you think about that? Does it lose the impact, I guess, is the question I'm asking. I absolutely agree with Les Ferdinand, because mm. for me, I, I just don't see the benefit of every game. It, it seems, like you say, it seems to be diluting the effect. People say it's keeping the Black Lives movement in prominence, but surely people are aware of it now. I think with regards to the Millwall game, I think it's an appalling reaction by the fans at the start of that game. 
to be booing that, I think, is a disgrace. Well, obviously, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think it's disgusting. I'm in, I, I kind of agree with you, David, and I kind of agree with Les. It just becomes a normality, you know? And I think if it, people are just like, oh, here it goes again, but it's not having the same impact as it did because it was very impactful when it first happened, wasn't it? People will forget the mean, why people are doing it, I think. You know when you just get a feeling that it's just a bit overkill now and I think it's doing more harm than good. This is the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. Benjamin, did you see... Uh, I loved this story. This was in The Independent, this story. An unnamed Italian husband walked 280 miles to calm down after arguing with his wife. He was hiking for a week before the police found him. Now, Italy has a strict curfew between 10pm and 5am, and the man was fined for breaching this regulation. He was a little tired, but otherwise healthy. He was 48 years old, and he left Como in the north of Italy and travelled 280 miles south over a period of a week. And he walked about 40 miles a day in, a, in an attempt to soothe his anger. Did you see this Yeah, it's hilarious. it's hilarious. When you said he left Como, I thought you said he was left in a coma. My question to you is, have you ever had an argument that took you a very, very long time to calm down from. Well, firstly, I've got questions about this. Did he sleep at all or stop or did he just continue to walk? He did sleep and he did stop and apparently strangers provided him with food and um, uh, blankets and stuff when he was sleeping. Well, it's a heartwarming story because he's walked about 40 miles a day then, hasn't he, really, in an attempt to soothe his anger. It must have been a hell of an argument. I, I, yeah. Do we know what the argument was about? He just left the top of the toothpaste off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he had the last of the milk. That was it. And that was it. That she was went, it. She yeah. went off on a, a like a ballistic missile. Look who's back, Benjamin. Did you see that a politician in Namibia named after Adolf Hitler says he has no plans for world domination after romping to a sweeping victory in local elections? Adolf Hitler Unona, who's 54 years of age, was elected by the town of Umbuja uh, with 85% of the vote. It was a perfectly normal name for me when I was a kid, he told a, a, a German newspaper. It wasn't until I grew older that I realised that this man wanted to subjugate the whole world and killed millions of people. Can I guess what you find astonishing? It's the line when he said it was a perfectly normal name for me when I was a kid. <laughs> well, that's the first thing, yeah. But the second, because he's 54. Dave, so work that out. He was born in 1966, OK? He wasn't born, like, uh, you know, in 1940 when Hitler was coming to prominence in Germany or whatever like that, or the, the late 30s. He was born nearly 25 years or 21 years after Hitler's death in 1945. It was perfectly acceptable for his parents to call him Adolf Hitler. Maybe they were scouring through a list of European names. Or let me go, well, uh, Mozart, Wolfgang... Uh, yeah. da -da. Oh, no, here's a good one. <laughs> yeah, most popular German name from the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Are there places in the world that have never heard of Adolf Hitler? I mean, I find that astonishing. Well, his campaign manager Stalin and Mussolini said that they were quite happy <laughs> with the fact that... <laughs> Do you know who Margaret Keenan is? No, you asked me this question off air and I have got no idea, so do tell me. 90-year-old Margaret Keenan was the first woman in Britain to have the new COVID vaccination. Yes, yes, I do. Sorry, I do, I do. And do you know who was another one of the first people were? The second person was William Shakespeare. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> William Shakespeare. Yes, good old Margaret and William. Do you think William Shakespeare's ever been able to reserve a table at a restaurant? Can you imagine it? Yeah. Hello, uh, this is the, the, the Divine Restaurant. Uh, yeah. I'd like to... Book a table, please, for two. OK, can we have the name, sir? William Shakespeare. <laughs> Boom! <Hang up. laughs> 
<laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, no. Did you see that the former head of Israel's space program claims aliens have agreed a deal with Donald Trump for him not to tweet about them while they carry out experiments on Earth? They don't want to start mass hysteria, he said. Professor Eshed also claimed that the aliens have a secret base on Mars where they meet US astronauts. This was in The Week. Can you see any truth in this? Do I believe in aliens or do I believe in this story? Do you know what made me think that this is an untrue story? The fact that they managed to persuade Donald Trump not to tweet. <laughs> Absolutely. I believe in aliens, 100%. Do you? 100%. Yeah, what, what do they look like? doesn't matter what they look like. It's, it's, it, how no, but what it... do you think they look like? I don't know. I've never seen one. How do they communicate? I don't know, David. I've never communicated with one. How on earth can, can we be the only planet that can sustain life within our solar system? Totally impossible. Of course, of course there are other beings out there. 100%. Whether or not they've come here to Earth and beamed us up and all that kind of stuff, I don't know. What I do have a problem with is with aliens is if they're so advanced technology-wise, why are they so ugly and depicted to be we so ugly? Well, you don't know what they look like, you just no, said. No, but the depi depiction of people that have seen them said they had, you know, very thin, small bodies and massive heads like a, you know, like a, like me. So... That's a very shallow argument, really, isn't it? Because we we only define what is... I mean, even as humans, we define what certain humans should look like. Don't start taking the moral high ground about what an alien looks like. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is if, if we've advanced through... We've advanced through civilization, and as we've advanced, we've genetically got more attractive... You speak for yourself. <laughs> I find it astonishing that aliens are always portrayed as the same sort of image. They're always depicted as oval heads with large eyes and mm. sort of thin fingers and thin limbs. I mean, that must have come from somewhere. So either someone's imagined that, and I think it's the same as, as, as the Jesus thing. I mean, who, who, who says that Jesus, if he existed, what he looked like? I mean, he wasn't white for a start. No, he can't possibly have been, can he? I think it's some one of those sort of Chinese whisper things that someone's either imagined what they look like and that's the image of an alien that's always been, you know, prevalent, or someone has actually seen an alien mm. and drawn it like that, and that's maybe where a, it comes from. Have you seen an alien? I was in this nightclub once in... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a ghost. Have you really? Yeah, I've seen a ghost, 100%. No. I, where? I, where I lived at university in this big old house, I was in my bed and it was known to be a haunted house and I had a very good friend at the time Liz Snook who was in touch with the other side and every time she came in she's like there's so many spirits in this house and uh, I went to bed one night and I, I, I hated my room I had to sleep with a light on that's how scared I was at university of this house and then one night I was in my bed and I rolled over it was about four in the morning and standing there in the doorway was a girl typical as you would imagine a ghost in a long dress white dress and she looked at me she smiled at me and I was like what are you doing here and then she just disappeared through the door now you were a student at the time yeah I wasn't I never taken drugs in my life David before you ask so you believe in all the ghosts then yes absolutely spirits. yes absolutely mm. yeah I, I believe that you can never die david your body can die of course it can that's just a shell but you'll never die i believe that we'll be there on our deathbeds going hello as it's getting dark hello where am i going what's happening here i absolutely believe in that 100 percent. yeah my father died when i was very young and i've always wanted to have some sort of contact you know mm. with him or i've always thought he would have made some contact if he could, you know, so why... Maybe your dad has shown you signs in ways that you just wouldn't understand. 
for example, like, you know... Your friendship. Our friendship <laughs> in the birth of your three beautiful daughters. And you yeah. getting a, a, an excellent career and in your funniest gag that you've ever delivered on the stage. You know, maybe he's oh, pointing... Christ. Well, he, he didn't like me then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Burr Adventures of Cornflake. Clue number two, then. The city boasts the largest food hall in the world. Oasis Restaurants and Entertainment Centre is a foodie's heaven. Imagine 41,000 square metres of a sea of different foods you can sample. The square has 25 restaurants and can seat up to 4,223 diners in one go. Where in the world is Cornflake? That sound means it's time for anger management. So I will ask you, Benjamin, what's been annoying you this week? Overreaction to the death of celebrities. Oh, are you talking about Diego Maradona? I'm talking about Diego Maradona. I'm talking about even the death of John Lennon, which was 40 years ago. I'm talking about um, the Star Wars actor who played Darth Vader. It's tragic when somebody passes away. Of course it is. But then to see on social media outpourings of grief about how life will never be the same again and they were a true legend on the stage and off it. How do you know they were a true legend off it? Their persona is depicted and given to them by their bloody PR companies and stuff like that. They could have gone badger baiting at the weekend and there you are shedding a tear saying i don't know how how i'll i'll ever get through the day again what a load of old rubbish has there been a celebrity that obviously you didn't know that has died that has caused you to become quite emotional when caroline flack when she hung herself i was genuinely shocked at that because that's it that's a young lady in the prime of her life who has been that's shock though isn't it that's shock i mean i think everyone was shocked when diana died there was no grief when diana died from me Nothing whatsoever, no. There's only one person that died when I felt emotional about it. It's George Harrison when I heard that he died. I feel that his music has helped me through my life. So when he died, it, I, I was really quite emotional. Of course it's fine to say, and in your case with George Harrison, of course it's fine to say I felt a little bit emotional because of music. But not to the point where you're like, like I saw this person right on Facebook about um, a celebrity in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, the, you know, the Jungle series, about the fact they were devastated that they're out and the love that they had for them. And they're such a great person. You don't know them from Adam. You don't know them from Adam. They could, you know, this is what really annoys me about people. They want to spend more time fantasising about people on the telly than making friends with their next-door neighbour. Do you know what annoys me? Tell me. When you lose something, how long do you go on looking for it? Well, it depends what it is, isn't it? If it's a set of car keys right. or whatever, you need to look yeah, for it until you find them. Yeah, obviously, but you're going to find them, aren't you? But I've lo- I, I had some Apple earbuds. They're right. not cheap. And I lost them yesterday, and it's like, oh, I've looked everywhere. I cannot find them, and I, I just don't want to stop looking for them because I'm hoping that I'll find them, but it, there's got to come a time when I have to stop looking for them. I mean, that's pathetic. I'm gonna, I'm, you need to man up about this. They're clearly in your house somewhere, so you're clearly well, they're not, f- because I went, out, I went outside yesterday. This is the thing I had to, and I picked Zoe up, and then I went to Tesco's. See, now you're adding to the story now. I'm not adding to the story. I still lost them yesterday. <laughs> I know, but that's, a, that's what I'm saying, though. To give up now, 
No, but the question is, how long do you keep looking for something when you've lost something? Well, not a day. You don't give up after a day, do you? I, no, I haven't given up, but I've got a feeling that, that, that they dropped out of my pocket when I was out the house and I'm never going to get them back. So I feel like I'm tormenting myself by keep looking for them. But that, there's that still glimmer of hope that they are somewhere. It's so frustrating. You are listening to The Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. Okay, it's now time for Etymology Corner, where we take a well-known word or phrase and find out where it came from. This week, a little bird told me, uh, which means sort of I was told by a private or secret source. The text, a little bird told me, doesn't appear in any version of the Bible, but the root source of this expression probably is biblical from Ecclesiastes, uh, the King James Version. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the Voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Various authors over the centuries, including Shakespeare, have made reference to birds, feathered or otherwise, giving messages. The first that comes close to our current version of this phrase is Frederick Marriott in Peter Simple, 1833. A little bird has whispered a secret to me. Excellent, Dave. And now it's time for our little segment we called If I Were Not Upon the Stage, where we send our roving reporter, Gavin, to interview somebody who's left the arts temporarily during the lockdown and find out what they're doing now and if they're using their skills from the arts in their current role. Well, today we're chatting with David Keogh senior entertainment host. Now, David, before we continue with the chat about your alternative work, you're probably one of the biggest fans of Overboard, the podcast, aren't you? I certainly am. Listen to every episode since day one. What's been one of your favourite bits, one of your highlights of the podcast over the three series? I think my favourite feature, Gavin, has got to be the further adventures of Cornflake. Are you always right, Dave? Um, I'm not, but I always give it a good go. Uh, so now you're facilitating quick, speedy and on-time deliveries. Because you're working for Amazon, aren't you? I certainly am, yes, working from home. What is your role working from home? What do you do? Well, I, I'm mainly on the driver support. So I, I support drivers um, if they can't find the address, help scan packages and just make their journey uh, and job just a bit easier for them. How have you managed to transfer your core skill with customer service into your new role working from home with Amazon? Whatever the situation is, as long as you can put a positive spin on it, and I think that really comes across and, and you know, you've got that empathy with with the customer. So um, you can do that in, in, in all life skills. It doesn't necessarily just have to be on cruise ships. Now, you walked off a ship on the 16th of April, but you've been busy, haven't you? What else have you been up to? Oh, yes, Gavin, I've never stopped. Whether it's doing online courses to better myself, to working for the local council. I even did a stint on the Test and Trace helpline. But I think it was Amazon uh, that really caught my attention. It's the, it's the one place that I can really use my transferable skills. And, you know, uh, even though it's not ship life, I am quite enjoying it in the moment. Working from home, obviously, it's a, it's a virtual world. So what I have managed to do, use my host roles in getting involved in the quizzes and the Christmas activities that are coming up. We've been holding a talent show over Christmas, so I'm going to get heavily involved in that. My current project is a Christmas jumper competition with the team. I'll, I'll leave you to it because I know you're extremely busy supporting the drivers. Thanks for joining me on the Overboard podcast and hopefully I'll see you soon. Cheers, Thanks, David. Gavin. The Bird Adventures. 
Two clues down then and two to go. This is number three in the Further Adventures of Cornflake. The city is one of the ten driest capital cities in the world. Rains are extremely rare here, but if they do start, they're likely to bring extreme flooding due to the lack of a rainwater drainage system around the city. Where do you think Cornflake is this evening? You are listening to the Overboard podcast with David and Ben. Now, David, it's time for Two Cities, One Day, our excellent feature where, of course, we visit a city around the globe and somebody tells us all about it. Thanks very much, of course, to last week's contributor, Helen, when we were in, of course, Christchurch in New Zealand. This week, Dave, very exciting. We're off to Vienna with the beautiful Viola. Best way to get around the city. By public transportation, the fastest would be by subway, otherwise I recommend the tram, as you can see the sights. What is the currency? It is the euro. Best place to eat on a budget. The best place to eat on a budget, Würstelstand, aka hot dog stand, a must eat there is the Käsekreiner, sausage filled with cheese. You can eat it plain, with some mustard, a slice of bread, or as a hot dog. Three sites we must see. St. Stephen's Cathedral, the Schönbrunn Palace, and the Museum of Fine Arts. Best place to drink. Bars, pubs, and traditional coffee houses. Yes, you can also get drunk there. They don't only serve coffees and teas and cakes. One place to avoid. Nothing in particular I can think of. Some outskirts at night, I would suggest. Best place to shop. The first district, certainly. And the Mariehilferstraße, the shopping mile. Where to hang out with celebrities. In the Low Spa, which is only 27 square meters small, it is also kind of a museum, as it was designed by the architect Adolf Loos in 1908. Between 5 to 8 euros. Any naughty words we should know. You only need one. Oida. It is an universal Viennese word for all sentiments and everything. Best way to spend a lazy Sunday afternoon. In a traditional coffee house for hours, reading newspapers and magazines, which are standard equipments of the coffee houses, or just get drunk, get drunk with friends. Best place to party. There are so many places, depending on your taste. I personally will go to the Volksgarten. They have different themed parties. Why we should spend 48 hours in your city? Well, I never heard anyone saying that they disliked Vienna. You should stay longer. But 48 hours gives you a great feel of the city and a good overview. An ideal present to bring back from your city. Mozartkugel, Mozart balls. Not Mozart's balls, um, they're made of chocolate and marzipan, or a snow globe, which was invented in Vienna around 1900. One interesting fact we might not know about the city. We have vineyards in the city. Sum up your city in three words. Tradition meets modern. The Further Adventures of Cornflake. Your final clue then in the Further Adventures of Cornflake this evening. It simply is... It's a city of very few traffic lights. In fact, there are only 10 sets in the entire city. Traffic rules do exist, but few people pay any attention to them. As always, I ask you, David, do you know where Corvlake is 
this week. Well, that uh, brings us towards the end of the show. I'd like to thank our contributors this week, the Overboard team, including our roving reporter, Gavin, our guests as well, David Keogh, and of course, Two Days, One City, uh, with the lovely Viola Gann in Vienna. If you're enjoying the shows, please subscribe through your listening platform. This way it will download ready for you. It's available on many different platforms, including uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Anchor. And spread the word. Let people know that we are here and uh, our community is growing and of course next week we have our special Christmas show Uh, like Ben said if you have any Christmas messages that you'd like to read out please let us know by contacting us also if you have people to interview questions to ask on polls Contact us on the following addresses, all with the board, spelt B-O-R-E-D, our website, over-board.com, on Facebook, at Overboard Podcast, one word, and on Twitter, at Overboard5. It's been a lovely show, Benjamin. Thanks for joining us, as always. And, of course, next week it's our Christmas show. Uh, So don't forget, get the booze ready for next week. We'll have a nice Christmas party for our Christmas show, which will be released next Saturday. It's now time for me to say goodnight and you to say goodnight. 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 Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions or organisations that contributors may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. The contributors to the podcast make no representations as to the accuracy or completeness of any information on the podcast or any site found by following any links discussed within.